0: Coaches, before we get started today, we have an amazing offer for you. PGC Basketball Shooting Colleges are live this fall. You can go to shootingcollege.com to register for $0. Absolutely free. We've waived the $95 fee at shootingcollege.com. Many sessions are already full, but there is still some availability. So if you'd like to become a better coach, hone your skills, go to shootingcollege.com, sign up, and we'll see you at one of our sessions this fall. If you have a player that wants to come, they can also go to shootingcollege.com and type in HH50 for $50 off, and you can have your players attend for a $50 discount. Hope to see you there. If you put
1: your effort and concentration into playing to your potential, to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. The talent for so many players today, the talent and the spotlight, it's taking them to heights that their character's not strong enough to support. I'm one of those set goals achievements. I talked about faith, passion, obviously the drive with the guys that I've been around and the guys that surround me every single day. If I want to be one of the best, I've got to play with and against the best. Okay, so that which gets praised gets repeated. You're listening to The Hardwood Hustle, brought to you by PGC Basketball. Thank hey, you for tuning in you're listening to the Hardwood Hustle Broadcasting here in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. I'm your host Adam Bradley alongside TJ Rosine. Today we're going to be sharing three tips for better offense. But before we do, let's catch up with our friends over at Shot Tracker.
0: Yeah, Shot Tracker is providing data and insights you need to win more games. Uh, we saw where the Kansas Fieldhouse just got outfitted right out there. Impressive. And you got, yeah, Baylor um you got oklahoma and uh tcu right now is just raving about what it's doing not only in their game situations but particularly their practice situations got to check out our friends at shot tracker changing the game
1: changing the game even available in high school environments and uh impressive impressive stuff listen tj three tips for better offense this is going to be an episode you're going to kind of spearhead and lead for us but I know you got some things you want to share. Three tips for better offense. Listen, if I'm a coach right now, I want to eat up anything that's going to help me be more efficient, be more effective on the offensive end. I think you've got some helpful tips for him.
0: Yeah, so um, I got three just general tips. I think there's a lot of tips you can use, a lot of ideas on the offensive end. But uh, three things I've been thinking about in the off season. I've thought about just about every year ways to do this, but. Um, These are probably outside the norm. I'll probably give you maybe one of the most norm first, and then I'll give you the other two, maybe a little less normal uh, towards the end. But the first one is just evaluating your offense well. And I think really there's three things that you can do to evaluate your offense with not analytically uh even though the analytics are the things that's going to teach you how to um get more efficient shots and it's going to help you to be able to do that but if you're doing these three things i think your analytics are going to go up um i think evaluating your player movement ball movement and spacing those are three things that um it's funny even like when we're playing like pickup games or i watch nba game at any level of basketball um you know, the player movement, ball movement, and spacing is crucial. I mean, just take a pickup game, for example. You know, a lot of times, like the other day, you and I were playing pickup, right? And when we were early and fresh, we had a couple guys who knew how to play the game, right? We had good ball movement. We were getting some easier shots. Then as you got tired... Guys stood around, myself definitely included in that. You know, I wasn't attacking the rim very much. I wasn't moving very much. I wasn't going after offensive rebounds. The movement just really slowed down. We kind of passed until somebody made it, took a shot, you know, and the games got longer and slower because the number of shots that go in is just a lot less. And it got tougher. Yeah, it, it, it got a lot harder. The I mean, offense
1: was so easy early in the, the game,
0: Yeah, right? and it seems like a grind as you go on. And specifically, you know, the, the main reason there is player movement. Like, we just were all standing a little bit. We, and, and I think that's uh, um, probably high school and younger levels and college levels. Really, they were pretty well-conditioned, and there's no reason not to have Are good you player you we movement. weren't well-conditioned, TJ? Well, I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm going <laughs> to speak for myself and say I was not well-conditioned. But... Um you know, player movement is something that they're capable of doing. So then I think it falls back to the coach on are you putting them in situations where they're moving well as a unit? Um, that's one thing I've always loved about the Read and React, and um, it, it gets as good a player movement as I've, as I've ever seen in an offense. Free flowing, you know, with some somewhat structure, but a lot of free flow to it versus just running a continuity offense. But, you know, I'm not here to preach about a particular offense, just to saying that, um, you know, player movement is crucial when a team stands around round goes one-on-one the help side gets there uh they're less active on the offensive glass you're going to get fewer sides of the floor um so player movement is really really important um to be able to run a good offense so is there anything you're track like is that just by
1: eyesight is there any like firm way to track that or is that just feel
0: yeah i think that um you know, gosh, I mean, like, you know, Shot Tracker has different ways to uh, track acceleration and output and all that kind of stuff. There's things like that, but if you don't have access to that, I think somewhat of it is feel.
1: Okay, I was going to say, but like, like your eye, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you talked about that on previous episodes, you know, about trying to catch that eye and like what you're looking for, what you see, like, like take me into your eye. Yeah. You know, like what, what, what gauges are you looking at or what, what? Uh signals to well
0: i think I think what if you wanna take just even deeper right then you're you're looking for are players constantly making movements that will make them efficient? I think that's probably the way you'd gauge player by player, and if you tie all those together, you'd have good so for instance, you know a player um a player that is not a perimeter shooter their movement should be directed towards the rim more often and towards screens. And they're going to create more offense and they're going to create better looks for other people. And so if I have a player um, that a lot of times cannot score effectively, I want to make sure their movements are, are coordinated to what will feed the team best. And I think if you're looking at um, you know, a player that is a shooter, I think you want to know like over the course of a, one possession, how many times do they at bare minimum relocate um, beyond that? how many times do they come off of a screen in a possession and I think that's a good way to track a you know a screener and then um you know I think that uh it ties into part two which is which is ball movement right and so like let's say you have a point guard that handles the ball well, if you're going to run an effective offense, but the ball is in their hands being dribbled you know. 50, 60, 70% of the time, you're not going to have a coordination, a good ball movement, and good player movement. Um, Just take a post player, for example, when we talk about player movement. If all they do is sit on the block and all they do is post up, they're easy to not only locate, they're also easy to guard, they're also easy to get to the help side defense. So, for instance, a post player, are they relocating? Are they stepping out to the perimeter and screening? Are they rolling hard? Are they, are they constantly in action, doing things that are effective for the team? So that, that's, that's player movement. I think that's how you gauge that. And then ball movement obviously ties right into that. You know, is the ball touching multiple sides of the floor is probably the easiest gauge of that. Not every possession does that have to happen, but you know, how many shots are you taking on the first side of the floor? How many shots are you taking on the second side of the floor? Third side, fourth side, fifth side, etc. Um, but the more that the ball moves from side to side, it's already it's statistically proven you're getting you're getting better shots, you're getting better looks. And uh, is the ball going inside out is another one. Is the ball touching the paint? How many times a possession does it touch the paint? What do your shots look like when they touch the paint and come out or touch the paint and get in there and finish i think uh it's a good way just to gauge the ball a number of players something as simple as golden state i was going to say yeah, they golden have a state, goal yeah. a goal of 300 passes a game you know um there's a good way to gauge is the ball moving uh right there and even a team as good as golden state as talented as they are when they get stagnant they're not nearly as good. I they, I think they lost the series to the Cavs what, two years ago, whatever, strictly on player movement and ball movement alone. Mm. And I, I think it, it came down to that offensively. The tighter the game got – The less ball movement, the more stagnant, the more individual they got. And they didn't win games like that. They weren't built for that. That was more built up LeBron's alley.
1: How often are you implementing, like, a ball movement um, standard in practice?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, could go into this way deep, but I think – there's a few things that we're, we're trying to do. Like uh, one things we work on at PGC is click, click, booms, you know. So you're looking for um, when you hit the paint, the ball goes click, click, an extra pass, boom, one extra. And every time you kick the ball out, a quick – snap pass to the next guy like it's another thing that we work on um the spurs do some really cool stuff that we've stolen over time um it basically it's called one second the ball can't be in your hand longer than one second so you catch it and it's got to move even the cost of turnovers they're just learning how to move the ball faster so we play one second possessions in no, practice in practice can't have it less than one second the ball is either got to be passed or attacked at the rim within one second of the catch uh, so things like that help to train um you know play player movement but also ball movement movement, for sure. All right,
1: so you've got two more tips for better offense. Well, I've got one more on this one, spacing. Spacing, that's right. We haven't even covered
0: spacing. spacing, So, sorry, this is the the third one. I think this is a little bit easier to gauge, right? You can just stop your film and see where players are. Um, But, you you know, the, the more space you utilize, the harder you are to guard, the more you stretch the defense out. And so... Being aware, and I think this is one that all NBA teams are pretty good at. Like, all NBA teams have great spacing. Where it gets bogged down is if they just have spacing, don't have player movement and ball movement, they can really struggle. But they – typically don't lack good spacing in the NBA. They actually are really, really good at it um, over the course of time. And but
1: they have to because of the length of the,
0: the yeah, players. They got to, right? Like at, otherwise it's done. But for high schools, colleges, they could steal a lot better looks if they would have better spacing and it's something we always talk about. It's not easy to maintain but um, it really gets tough when you have to, to manage Player movement, along with spacing, like balancing those two things, can be a real balancing act to make those things happen. But um, if we took, you know, notes from you know how the NBA did it, we'd all be better at spacing. I, there's a lot of things I don't like about the NBA, but one thing I do like is how great their spacing is. Why? Why? Why does spacing
1: tend to kind of come back to the mean a little bit? Why? 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 Why does it fall, right? Why why does it not be as effective? Yeah, I, I think. What's the mentality
0: from players that would like kind of prohibit spacing as the game goes on? Well, I think some of this can fall to coaches. You might not be running an offense where it it, uh, it requires you know constant spacing. The other thing I think is it's subtle things of spacing. You know, like uh, over like you have to really fight to keep people off the arc. You know, and and keep them uh, at NBA range, uh, so they can step into their shot and they can walk into that. But it's just a natural habit for players to gravitate to the three point line and to get closer. But when you start playing, you know, the whole half court versus playing, you know, ten feet on the three point line, you've lost a whole lot of space on the floor. Mm. TJ, two more tips. I know you've got uh, to share with coaches before we
1: do. Let's take a quick halftime break with our friends over Team Snap. Thanks to our friends over at Snap for today's halftime communication tip. Coaches, it is so important at the end of a coach-player meeting that the coach asks the player to repeat back what they just heard. Oftentimes, this is a mistake that is overlooked and not done by coaches during these meetings, but it is so important. Do not run the risk of feeling that you're condescending or patronizing the player by asking them to repeat that. This is simply a measure that can allow you both to make sure you're fully on the same page for everything that you discuss. So this week and the weeks ahead, as you have these meetings with your players, take a moment, ask them to repeat back what they heard, and I promise you, you both will feel better about the conversation. Thanks to our friends over at TeamSnap. Make sure you check out TeamSnap.com backslash hustle to learn more about the communication app, serving over 15 million people across the globe, helping teams get organized all the way from their parents, players, and coaches. That's TeamSnap.com backslash hustle. Check them out today. All right,
0: TJ, tip number two for better offense. Where are you going? Yeah, so tip number two um, is you know it kind of it's um complement each other do your offense and defense complement each other hmm. i think is 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 really important because a lot of times people build a philosophy on the offensive end, they build a philosophy on the defensive end, but they don't necessarily complement each other. And so um, complementary offense is the next you know piece that I've got here. And this is interesting. Yeah. I, I
1: feel like a lot of coaches haven't heard this concept or have thought about it this way. Complementary offense yeah. in the
0: sense of making sure your offense and defense are complementing one another. Yeah, and you, know, you steal a lot of things in the game of basketball, but this is not one I've ever heard before either. This is just a concept I think is important. Not everybody probably feels the same way, but I believe it's uh, important. And it's just over watching a lot of games and watching a lot of different people. And they're running one particular type of offense, one particular type of defense, but there's not a lot of flow to it. And um, and and they're giving up. Uh, it, it, it spurns from this quote, I think it was Rich Mc, uh, Bob McKay, I can't. The guy from Canada, he does great stuff over there. He does small-sided games, things like that. But he had a um, a, a quote that uh, he said: "If you can get six more layups from your opponents, specifically if you can get them from the right hand side, the chances of you winning the game goes up to like ninety ninety five percent, which is." A very small stat but it's we chart it and it's very hard to accomplish actually um for a lot of different reasons so for instance if you're a really fast-paced team and you get 12 layups a game um then you need to hold your opponents to six and if you play a slow pace you know in your university of virginia you need to get seven and give up one you know like it, so it doesn't matter but the margin just needs to be six but um you know quite often i don't think people uh you know think in terms of that so so compliment your offense for instance um You know, the run and gun style, Grinnell or whatever. Nothing wrong with it. It's an enjoyable way to play the game. But I don't think that concept necessarily plays out. Now, this, we're not, the three point does matter. I get all that. But over the course of the game, uh, when you're giving up 15 layups, right, and you're getting 12, you're minus three, and you've got to make a lot more threes. I understand the value of the three but you're also putting yourself in a hole. And so if I was to run that type of offense where I'm trying to get layups and threes really quickly, um, I would also maybe be just prevent a little bit more with, from the layup uh, for the layups from my opponent. And if you think about teams um, like in the NBA, not that it's right or wrong, but everything is about floor balance in the NBA. Uh, Everything is about getting your triangle set on the back end. They send very few players to the offensive glass um, and, Part of that's due you know the way they run offense, but they send very few people uh, because they do not want to give layups on the other end. I would even challenge at the NBA level. Uh, I think it's also it's also short sighted and one sided thinking about we just don't want to give up layups. Are you winning six to zero or seven to one or eight to two? I don't know that they're you know always thinking about that, and I think it's something they should think about. But I think when you run a particular type of defense um, and a particular type of offense, you need to be worried about whether they actually feed each other or if you've made the decision in a silo. This is what we're going to do defensively. And this is what we're going to do offensively. Um, but give, they don't. Give feed me it. an example
1: on this. So let, let's say like I'm, I'm Bob Higgins of West Virginia University, attacking right. full core press, mm-hmm. relentless style of defense. Right. Okay. That's my style, and and that's what he's known for famously. Right. right. And West Virginia has done a great job with that, but if that's the defense that i want to lead with what what would you say then a complementary offense to that solid
0: defense what would it look like or what yeah. are you thinking well so i mean i think his style the way that they play the game um well, first of all very few teams press at higher levels college and nba and it's a real simple reason Better players, they're harder to press. You know, in high school and you know, people press all the time. And then you ever wonder why they don't press in the NBA? It's you can't, you can't press Chris Paul. You know, you can't. You do. You, and so, the better the players, yeah, Kyrie Irving is not getting pressed. Yeah, and so, but you go to the college level in West Virginia. Um, you know, I think it helps them in a lot of games. There's some games, I think maybe it hurts them a little bit as well. Uh, the better the guards get, the harder it is to press. But uh, they try and generate a lot of. Uh, they also,
1: they also reap the benefit of. Being one of the few teams that does it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, to some degree.
1: I mean, because you think about it. I mean, you always hear going into a West Virginia matchup, it's
0: like we've got to prepare for this because yeah. we haven't seen it in weeks. So there's, a, there's a yeah. So there's a couple benefits to what they do. One of the benefits is exactly like you said. You just you don't you're not used to it. Nobody does it right. That's definitely a huge benefit. The other thing that I think that it works for them um, is because they're not gimmicky. They're not just trying to turn you over and get a layup. They're solid in the half court. They're tough. I mean, they're tough minded. Um, where it really backfires is when you just start pressing and that's all you do and you're just trying to get easy layups and like you lack a little bit of toughness he doesn't let that slide in his team so I think that's why he gets away with it at the highest level of college Mm -hmm. basketball is because they're tough in the full court they're tough in the half court Um, and so I I think that they do stand a good chance uh, you know complementary to their offense because I think they're not like a very highly skilled team so I think it, it, their offense is one where we kind of, you know, if we can't get the – I think because they're not skilled, he's creating easier looks for them. Mm. And so I think it complements what they do offensively. They're not going to be able to space you. They're not going to run Michigan offense, you know, ball, screen, flare, da-da-da-da. And so I think the way they play defense complements their offensive skill set and what they do. Um and vice versa, I think you know a team like Virginia, you know they 're going to grind you out in the defensive end and make you work for a shot, you know and they 're going to go to the other end, and they're patient because they don 't mind going back down. I think it complements each other. I think what they do is um, really well, even though sometimes it 's not the easiest brand of basketball to play um, they 're banking on this. We're going to make you take really tough shots, and we're going to try and take more good shots than you. Even though Virginia takes some bad shots because, you know, they're not the most offensively inclined team. But their mindset's not that. Their mindset's not that. Their mindset is it doesn't matter. We're going to take, you know, we're going to take ten better shots than you over the course of the game. And so it's really complimentary. Now, I don't think it would work to grind you out in the half court like Virginia does and then go down and run and jack a quick three. Right. Right, because then they're playing long possessions of D and short possessions of offense. That's hard on a player. Um, and they're also not going to get better shots over the course of the game. So they, they complement each other well. Um, but, I, but I I think all those coaches have put a lot of thought into what they're doing, and um, therefore they are complementing their offense and their defense. So. I love that. Tip number three. Yeah, where are you going? No. Yeah, tip number three is just kind of a thought or a challenge for coaches um, see later in the season. I think that um, you know a lot of people go into the season and they do all their skill development and they get players ready you know, to go and then they implement their stuff. And then it's all about just kind of managing the season. I, I think that players don't tend to get better as the season goes on and I don't think that's a good thing. They might get smarter in their shot selection, they might do but I don't think players improve skills as the season goes on. And if you're only as good as the collective whole and how good they are individually, then I think we should spend more time Developing players as the season goes on, so it becomes all about like you know, it's almost put into a little bit of a silo. You start the season and you're trying, you're going through individual workouts, right? And everybody's getting better. Then you get to the team, and then you start running your inbounds, your side out of bounds, you know, and everything becomes about scheme and X's and O's and all that type of stuff. But you know, and, and you think, I guess the games take care of the skill development. Yeah, You think right, and so then, so the skill development happens you know for a few minutes at the beginning of practice and it happens early in the season it happens late in the season but even in the summer they're just playing a ton of games they're playing a ton of games all summer long you're playing a bunch of games during the season and so what gets lost is the skill development over the course of the year i think skill development is a 365 thing and um and i think that uh it's that art is getting lost and now you can do it in a multitude of ways. You know, I, I think this is, you know, part two of it is I think that we've gotten a little bit uncreative and ungame like in skill development. People have gotten enamored with You know, how to dribble a ball with each elbow and your left butt cheek and whatever, you know. And I think at the end of the day, all these tricks they've got going on with balls, like I think teams simply just don't pass the ball well. And so uh, one of the things that we really like to do is um, Bo Ryan at Wisconsin, he he had this thing where um, no coaches were allowed to pass in practice only players can pass in practice because you know you put out coaches there and they're passing as you go through the drills but you know players are the ones that got to make passes in games and a lot of time all we do is throw it to them and they dribble and score throw it to them they catch and shoot but We've lost the art of passing the ball well, hitting a a shooter in the shot pocket. So it doesn't have to be just breakdown skill development, but are you adding as much skill into all of the drills that you do that you possibly can to make over the course of the season better passers, better whatever it is, the skills you're trying to develop? I think it's really important that uh, we continue skill development throughout the entire season. TJ, phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. This was like a little mini clinic here on
1: the podcast today. Three tips for better offense. You nailed it. Absolutely. Hey, appreciate you listening, coaches. If you got any additional thoughts, questions, you can always hit us up on Twitter, uh, at Hardwood underscore Hustle. Uh, I am Adam. He is TJ. Together we are the Hustle. Till next time, we're out.